0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Hi, this is Tim Venable of Cornet Global. Joining me today is Saeed Fadli, PhD, Director of Seismic Risk and Resilience Assessments at EBI Consulting. He's here to talk with us about not only seismic risk assessments, but seismic resilience assessments. Thank you very much for being here, Said. Hi, Tim. I'm delighted to be with you here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity.
1: Um, we are recording this um, on a special day every year. We have this shakeout practice in California that is intended to uh, remind people that we in California and other places in this country, we have earthquakes. They're not They don't happen every day, but there is exist, and it's a good reminder, and it's a good practice for kids in the school, for for professionals in offices, how to respond during the few seconds of earthquake. So I'm really happy to be here with you and uh, look forward to our discussion.
0: Great. So first, if you would, please introduce yourself and EBI Consulting a little further. For sure, I start with EBI. EBI is a
1: consulting firm headquartered in Boston. Um, We offer a wide range of services for our clients um, from due diligence to uh, environmental assessments to uh, ESG, which stands for environmental, social and governance um, to um, uh, engineering and architectural services um in uh basically like um whenever there is a real estate transaction any kind of construction um there are needs for different kind of expertise from managing the risk during the construction to you know doing a due diligence on a on a a given property that is being bought or invested in um when when someone goes through those experiences, they need consultants who understand the transaction and the nature of the construction. Um, we provide those kind of services. Um, my role with, with EBI, I am the Director of um, Seismic Risk and Resilience Assessment. Um, I have done a PhD in a structural and earthquake engineering. I was born and raised in Iran Uh, where there are major earthquakes and I think growing up um, I witnessed how in that country uh, even moderate earthquakes could unfortunately take um, tens of thousands of lives. Mm -hmm. So I I grew to kind of um, identify earthquake engineering as an area that um, it's a a good career to pursue and uh, when I got to the point of graduate school. I chose United States, um, did my PhD at University at Buffalo, and from 2008, I have been in the Bay Area. And um, I started in, on the consulting side of, of, of our field, um, got lucky, and chose one of the best firms, and um, started navigating our field from that standpoint, um, designing new buildings, and also retrofit of existing buildings. Um, but then um, I got to a point that I realized like, what makes me happy is always a deeper understanding of what I do. And I thought, like, by sitting in, in, in a consulting office, I, w- I wouldn't gain that. So I, I, I accepted an offer to join the construction side. I wanted to see the world from the construction perspective. Uh, and for a few years, I did that for a company repairing and strengthening concrete and masonry buildings. Um, and then tried a few other things and um, as i'm like learning the field from different angles i realized like i'm getting at the point that um what i have learned can be really useful when someone needs uh, risk assessment and resilience assessment so uh, i i came to the side of you know due diligence and basically my job right now is if a bank or an investor wants to Put money on a property. I uh, I have a series of products that I kind of um, advise them on their on their risks and um, moving forward on their resilience. So I am in charge of one of many departments of EBI, and um, in 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 short, we you know anything that is built in the built environment. We, 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 we have some ideas how to make it better. And, um, uh, you know, I'm located in California and um, earthquake has been part of my career uh, all along.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're in the Bay Area there, as you mentioned. That's one of my favorite parts of our country. So good to have you on the podcast today.
1: I appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be with you.
0: So Saeed, here's my, my first question. Our conversation today uh, is meant to cover both risk and resilience. Can you elaborate, please, on those two terms and why they're such important topics for corporate real estate executives? For sure.
1: Um, I think, as I mentioned, the uh, the occasion of ShakeOut, it actually is, is great for me because um, it, it allows me to share with you the historical background of what we have done in earthquake engineering, uh, which to the majority of public will be some shocking news. Um, the fact is the building codes and engineering community, um, they have um, have one objective and that's saving lives. So we have, um, so originally we didn't know much about the earthquakes. Um, we built everything to, to, to hold on to their rates so they don't come down. We knew about wind because it's something that has happened frequently. Uh, we started to learn about fire. Um, in the beginning, many, many years ago, we did not know about earthquakes. And then we started to experience that. And, you know, um, human being and evolution, we learn lessons and we get stronger. Uh, but all along, we focus on one thing. Um, and that's saving lives. That is the thing that really hurt us. Um, has consequences that we cannot undo. If someone passes away, um, that's something that we cannot undo. We can um, we can recover from most everything. Um, the public doesn't know that, and uh, the public, you know, you hear like you know, I I bought a new construction, and that you even hear things like that is good for magnitude eight earthquake, or um, I bought an earthquake-proof structure. Uh, none of those uh, kind of ideas have any connection to the, to, to the reality. Um, what we design, again, we, we, we promise that um, the risk to life, uh, and the we call it life safety objective, um, is, is minimal. Uh, we never promise that you know you after a major earthquake you can continue using that property. We don't promise that the damage to that property during the earthquake will be something that you can recover or your your insurance will cover. So as it has happened over and over in in past earthquakes, after the earthquake your building gets red tag not major earthquakes like even during the napa earthquake there, there were a lot of businesses that they seemingly survived the earthquake nothing happened but um the jurisdiction came and used a red tag that people couldn't go inside right so historically we have taught we have taught about the risk of earthquake and how we can mitigate that obviously there have been uh, a segment of our field that they have tried to predict the earthquakes. Um, they some some have realized that that's really difficult. Um, they have done something more useful, which is pre- they have tried to predict the the size of an earthquake, like how much energy, uh, based on probability, will be released, uh, you know, to a given area. And some like me, we have tried to get that, and we design. Uh, structures and infrastructures that they can deal with that kind of shaking in um, earthquake. So up until recently, like um, early 2000, I believe the focus was like, um, how can we avoid tragedies? We had San Fernando earthquake in 1970 that um, there were a series of collapses, a killed building, but. The, the most um tragic ones were the ones that the the hospital collapsed, killed patients mm-hmm. and that started this thing that was the hospital act that the government required the building codes to evolve to design hospitals that they um, they don't come down they they don't kill patients and um that was that was the goal and we built hospitals in places of those hospitals that they were they, they came down and killed people. And then 1994 Nor earthquake happened. And those hospitals from outside remained structurally intact, everybody happy, you know, hooray, and we achieved what we intended. But unfortunately, a few broken pipes, a few broken machines, um rendered those hospitals not uh, not functioning and then they had to go through the pain of transferring the patients from one hospital to the other and more importantly the hospitals were not able to accept you know people who got injured during the earthquake so again in in late 1990s and early 2000 the discussion started to pick up that um it seems like it's not only keeping the structure standing, but also we want to keep it functional. So I'm trying to take you through, through this, the, the evolution of how we think about that. Then around then I was in the University of Buffalo doing my PhD and everybody was doing research to understand what happens to what goes inside a the building. Then 2008 Katrina happened and um, I was a student over there. And, a couple of years after that, people started to ask about the speed of recovery. And they started to compare the growth of GDP of that area to other states that they were kind of charging a line, along the same trend line for years. But when this thing happened to that area, Louisiana, um, they looked like it, the, 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 the speed of coming back was super slow and At one point, I remember there was questions if it would ever catch up. So that was the beginning of the first time that I heard about resilience, which says we're not only concerned about how much things are going to get damaged. So that's the risk focuses on that. It's how many people are going to be killed or injured? How much is gonna be the damage to this property? So every day I write reports for our clients that tells them how much is their expected damage during a major earthquake, which c- communicates the, the risk in a very kind of um, simplified way to them. One thing that historically we haven't told them is after that, how long it takes for them to actually do the repair. And as you may, may expect, um, the, the estimations and the understanding uh, uh, couldn't be further from the reality. Like I, I often do this game with people in the Bay Area who have been around from Loma Prieta, and I ask them, like, what do you remember from Loma Prieta? And what was the, what was the disruption after? Um, they remember that this happened during the final of the baseball game between Giants and Oakland A's. Um, they remember that the 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 Bay Bridge, uh, one of the segments, came down. Um, but not much more. But when I start to just you know continue with follow-up questions, like, do you remember that the Bay Bridge was closed for one month? Uh, they start to just kind of like, oh yeah, that... and then I starts just like, that, that road was closed for six months, this happened to the water. Um, so, now, we, after like, 2008, that we started to realize, like, it's not only how much you go down, which has been always the focus, we need to talk about how long it takes us to get back. And ideally we want to to minimize that. So that's the resilience that has the time at the center of it. So as long as I tell you how much things are gonna go back, I'm not giving you the full picture. And when you think about it, it should be surprising to everybody that all of our investments um, have just stopped short of asking that Follow-up question. Yes, you're telling me 20% damage compared to the cost of rebuild. How long does it take if if there 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 is a widespread of damages, if the roads are closed, if I need to to have access to the cash? So we have started to have that diet. And that's what I'm really passionate about. And that's what I try to remain up to date. So Resilience, in short, has the component of time, without which, in my opinion, everything is a standstill, right? It's just like a, a, a one picture, one frame of a, of a story. And one of the most beautiful ways of thinking about this that I have learned um, is from Lucy Jones, who is known as, uh, she. I think she dubbed herself as, um, Dr. Earthquake or something, I, I, I've learned so many lessons from her. She's the person behind uh, a couple of ordinances in the city of Los Angeles to improve the um, seismic preparedness of the city. But she was saying uh, we even have got the life safety wrong because we have always focused on saving lives during one minute of earthquake and some aftershocks or during um, a few hours of hurricane. But in reality, we need to save lives for what comes after the the natural hazard, for months after that. And one thing that was kind of really eye-opening was when we had major earthquakes a few years back in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, First one hit. There were very little damage and the kiwis rightfully they have fantastic engineers they have been always on the cutting edge of my field i have had role models from that country that i've learned so many lessons so they just like celebrated and everybody like yeah we expect that from your engineering then another one happened different time of the day and it brought on brought on a couple of major buildings including an office and There were major collapse. There was death. So all of a sudden the narrative changed, but here is the thing that changed the whole thing for the people who paid attention. Still, you could walk away from that and say that was a success. There were not many people killed. There were not many buildings damaged, but the researchers looked at the data and they saw months after that earthquake, there was a huge spike in the suicide in in that area. And they did a study and they realized these are the people whose livelihood, their routines were affected. It just, you know, it gives a goosebump bump every time I speak about this because it, it shows how far away from, we are from what we, where we should be. And we, 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 we have a long way to go. And I think about those people that their lives in a way were impacted to the point that they were pushed off that edge. And we don't, we don't even achieve the life safety. So um, I gave you a long answer for your thing. Maybe it speaks to how passionate I am about it. Um, but I want to also summarize that um, resilience goes beyond the immediate aftermath of bad thing. It questions how quickly you can get back up to where you were. That is the technical term that now has been agreed.
0: OK, excellent. That's a very thorough and, and very good explanation. Thank you. So my next question, the history of seismic resilience and, and is it fair for the public, just people out on the sidewalks, is it fair for the public to assume that modern design and construction is truly earthquake proof today? What what guarantees do they have about that?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, like it, it, in, in in most cases. Um. That's the unfortunate assumption by the public. Like, um, in some in some areas, like Bay Area, I have friends who buy properties, and I ask them, "Did you spend a second thinking about the earthquake?" Obviously, these are residential, and they say, "Like, oh my god, in this like you know in this market, that's that's the last thing I care for." I was like, "Okay, let's look at the map. You bought this like five million dollar property somewhere that you know the soil is terrible, and it's publicly available." Um, so that's what public thinks if, you know, we have, we have a spectrum, like the people who are not aware, the people who, um, have prioritized things that they care and earthquake is not really high up there. And then, um, the people who actually know that the right-hand side of the spectrum, they have, they have, um, misleading um, information about it. so and that's really important we don't have earthquake proof structures except for like some like some of the hospitals, some of the campuses by high by these high tech companies because they were smart enough to understand from the past earthquakes that if I have a data processing center that you know processes transactions of credit cards if I go down for five days the loss will be a lot more than what it takes me to build something that can take the most, you know, um, the strongest earthquake. So, um, as I mentioned, like, even right now, we talked about the history, even right now, um, if you go through the channel of building departments and um, follow the ordinances, unfortunately, everything is focused on saving lives, which is very important. That's the first step. But nobody is tasked, at least by law, up to this point, to deliver anything beyond that. Voluntarily, people can ask for it, can question about that, and it's just common sense. That is not happening. So this is important. It's a great question that people understand what, what is available right now. And then Going deeper into your question, um, you know, depending on the location, you always have a mix of um, buildings that they have been built to the modern building codes. And then you have buildings that they have been built 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And every earthquake has taught us so many lessons that we have kind of taken that to the labs, to um, computer labs and model things. So like, like you like human being, that we have evolved in so many ways, and the same thing earthquake engineering has evolved. So if you have a community that has buildings that they were built, like where I live in Oakland, sometimes I go and run around the ter- trails here, and uh, you know, I look at some of these buildings built on these hills, and I, I just hope that you know um, the owners will begin to question and. Uh, they they address the risk. So um, we don't have earthquake proof um, from that standpoint.
0: Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. So you've introduced the concept of resilience-based design. How do you see that aligning with the ESG movement? That seems very important today for big corporations.
1: Um, that is correct. Um, ESG is... Uh, you know, like most other things nowadays is a sensitive topic. Um, I have some thoughts about it, but I am just learning. So if we leave that aside, I can speak to how, um, how the topic of resilience and ESG kind of um, talk to each other. What are the concerns? Um, so if you want to build a resilient, building or community uh, one theoretical way to do that is like you build something that doesn't get damaged right if if nothing gets hurt during an earthquake or a, a hurricane um, there is no damage there is no downtime and you just continue going um, that would mean we build a bunch of nuclear power plants for our houses and for our offices um, even, you know, even if we had the money, which we don't, even if we had the space, which we don't, then the question would come like, is it sustainable? Right? Using all of the, the material and the concrete. So there has been concern um, presented by environmentalists that the topic of resilience um, can come um, against sustainability. And I hear that and I understand that, that there, there is a point that you can, you can, you can argue that, um, you know, building super strong and you know, basically indestructible structures um, is not the optimum way of achieving resilience. But I, on the other side of this, uh, if you think about the premise of ESU, uh, environmental, social, and governance for our for our businesses and for our corporations to just grow in a mindful way um, for our planet, for fellow human beings um, in a way that is sustainable. And we, you know, the people who promote that they believe that it it it, it aligns with um, the values that kind of eventually. Will push this planet forward. Um, if you think about those, I think you can you can, you can begin to wonder like, um, what if you build a community, a country that you know is growing, being mindful of all of those things, and then when there is a, a hurricane, Ian or Katrina or an, an earthquake like Gloma Prieta, that knocks them down for months how is that disruption will send us back in our pursuit of those ideas um I, coming from literally two halves of this planet uh being where i born when i was raised and where i went to school and i've built my second part of life so far i i have seen like human being is now essentially different what makes us act differently is the socio-economical conditions that we find ourselves in. I I firmly believe that if we have a community that can weather an earthquake that happened in Napa better, it's a lot easier in that environment to talk with corporates about their responsibility against the environment. If we have something, a natural hazard that knocks down our community for six months, I promise you, the concern for environment and the social things will um, will be at the lowest priority for people. As human beings, when we are scared, uh, we, we tend to be more selfish and short-sighted. So from that standpoint, I would say this to our friends. And then under this umbrella of resiliency, there are really important topics of like how natural disasters affect you know, different, segments of our societies are the minorities in a more unjust and unfair way. And they're, they're fascinating and heartbreaking, but that element of resilience, how we dedicate resources and how we get back up to our feet, that also relates to ESG. So I tend to think, to summarize my thought, I tend to think all of the good ideas will eventually work together. And I also like when they question each other, because that that helps them to think deeper. Um, So I don't see any any conflicts. I see the need for thoughtfulness.
0: Okay, excellent, excellent thoughts there. You know, Saeed, thus far, we've talked about several countries or geographies which have, you know, earthquake prone, uh, you know, risk factors. You mentioned Iran, of course, and uh, the California area, and I think uh, New Zealand, you may have mentioned as well. So how would you say the U.S. compares to other countries with high seismicity when it comes to resilience based design? Is there some part of the world that really is doing it right uh, more than others?
1: Well, that's, that, that's a good question and I hate to kind of rank people here, like everybody. Um, you know, there are a handful of uh, um, countries that they are contributing to the field. Chile, New Zealand, Japan, um, even China, um, United States, um, Italy. Um, I think everybody is contributing to some extent. Um, depending depending on their government approach, you know, they, the structure of the societies are different. Like there are countries that they have more influence and they they, they have uh, given to the government more power. Um, and then in there are countries like US that you know the private sector has more power. And uh, even you compare the two you see like uh, each system has its own pros and cons. When you when you sign it off to the government, if they don't get it right, um, such as my own home country, Iran, I don't think this issue has been a priority for the government over the past you know, many decades, unfortunately. Um, when you sign it up to the government and they don't get it right, then you you are in big trouble. Um, but on the other hand, if you have a responsible government that kind of incentivize things, um, you get a better outcome. Because they can kind of support and facilitate the private sector to do the right thing. I would like to think, like in the US, we have that model. Like we have, you know, National Science Foundation, we have a National Institute of Standard and Technology, NIST. Um, we have the government now being very interested in changing our billing codes to address this. We have this term functional recovery, which is in the family of resilience, right? The, the the government has shown interest. They have funded this research to to address this. So, countries that they are really good, very well pre- prepared for earthquake. Japan is number one they, by far. Uh, you know, you frequently hear like magnitude seven earthquakes in Japan, and uh, you know they just go on with their life. It, but I, I add to that though. Again, these are things that you know you you have to read the fine fine print. And when you find it you have to share with your friends and your world. Even in Japan a couple of years ago there was a major earthquake and Toyota company and a few other major corporations they lost their business for weeks and the, the loss for that was staggering. Um, it's important to add this because people just tend to think like even Japan you know um, Japan has achieved that you know they can go on with their life, but even Japan hasn't so I would just say Japan has achieved that, but japan this is important to know they 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 built this structure is really really strong to the point that they there is little damage um, We don't have that and then you compare the economy of Japan to the u s and how their 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 government has dealt the issue of like you know um the interest rate and their economic growth over the uh, you know past couple of decades, then you can you can start to think like I'm not drawing lines between the two, but I'm just saying like that's that takes me back to 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 your other question that you know um, you can you can spend a lot of money and build everything to the point that they don't bend at all. but that that is not necessarily the the solution. Um, people in New Zealand have been great. They learned a lot during the Christchurch. They learned about what happened between, um, the community and the insurance companies. They are fantastic engineers, but overall, uh, the world is at the early stages of really understanding, um, the importance of resilience. And that's basically the nature of human being, because we have gazillion biases that are um, our thinking has, One of them is the normalcy bias. Uh, we 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 tend to underestimate the frequency of bad things happening to us. It's always for the neighbor, for the other people, and also we tend to underestimate, you know, the consequence of that. So resilience is trying to remind us that hey, look, Japan. Japan, the, the, the Toyota company went out of business for weeks. Uh, do you want to avoid that? So overall, the world is is um, at the at the earliest stages of this, and I hope that we can learn from each other. And it is happening. So it's it's beyond just hope. I'm I would I should say I'm I'm delighted um, to 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 know about all of these collaborations and learning from each other.
0: Excellent. Okay. That's a nice segue, actually, into my my next question here, which is, is more always merrier, one way of saying it, in resilience-based design, or, on the other hand, does any property have some kind of optimum point uh, in cost-benefit analysis when it comes to resilience?
1: Um, that, that, that 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 is an awesome question. That's something that, you know, I have been really curious about and I think I touched on it a little bit. I I give you a couple of examples um, to answer these questions. If you go back and look at the photos left from um, recent um, hurricanes, you you will always find those pictures that show one building remaining uh, almost undamaged and there's nothing around it. You know, people look at it from different angles. People get curious and say, who designed that? What kind of material? Another question that you can ask is, um, is this resilient? Is this building you know, resilient? Is, is there any benefit for the owner of that building of property that they, 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 they didn't come down? I think eventually you can argue like because they were damaged less, when everything comes back up, they are the ready yes to, to resume. But in reality, if, if I was the consultant of that owner and I told them, like, you have to spend millions and millions to be, quote unquote, more resilient, and they, after the natural hazard, they would walk out of this building. There was nothing coming to that property. If it was a commercial property to, offices, nobody could come to work. It wouldn't mean anything. Another example, Napo earthquake. Um, there was this guy who did a retrofit, a restaurant, and it wasn't damaged. The the neighbor next door, they didn't do anything. It got damaged heavily and it was kind of tilted. Jurisdiction came and asked the restaurant to shut down because there was a risk that the neighbor comes down on the restaurant. There's this really kind of interesting post that I have the picture that says, we did our job, we did the retrofit, and nothing was damaged. However, our neighbor didn't do their job. Now we have to pay for that which highlights how things are connected. So again, if I had sold that idea to that restaurant owner that you have to be more resilient, pay for it, and this happened, it didn't make any sense. So resilience is beyond just one building or one element. It's, it's a community level. It's, it's, it's something that everything works together. Theoretical way to think about that is just like if everyone does their job, then you have a resilient community. But what is their job is something that requires insight and expertise, um, which I would like to think, you know, consultants of the board, such as myself, who can help to find that optimal. Down the road, again, we, we would like to have no damage, but right now, if you have a building in, in, in an area that, you know, I know the bridge ending to that is not gonna be good, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't mislead my my client that you know you have to have a building that comes back up immediately. I'm gonna kind of be say like you know let's talk about something that you will be tagging along with the with the same pace that people around you will be coming back. Um, that would be responsible engineering. Uh, so we have academic thing and idealistic approach that always is like you know hundred percent or nothing, and then you have the pragmatic in engineering approaches, like what can I do best with all the constraints that I have?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. So thinking about building codes and jurisdictions that have building codes, are there any you're aware of that require anything beyond the conventional design intended to protect life and safety? So obviously you're very familiar with Oakland, perhaps San Francisco, LA, any, any examples you can give our listeners about that?
1: sure um, as i mentioned like great news is the major building codes that we use are going through evolution to recognize and provide provisions for engineers to design buildings that they can recover their function in a reasonable period that is the first uh, it's really exciting the, our best engineers are working on that so that that is up there. That's the upstream. Uh, we have ASTM working on a standard that um, allows providers like EBI and um, competitors to assess resiliency of a property for different natural hazards: earthquakes, fire, climate change, um, flooding, um, and that 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 is also in the making. That's something that. Uh, I have the privilege of working with that group, and uh, it's it's um, being debated at the moment, and uh, getting better by week by by the input. So um, things are things are happening at the jurisdiction level right now. Everything that we have is intended to catch the worst. Like City of San Francisco, they 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 dealt with they dealt with residential buildings that they. They saw during the Loma Prieta, they just kind of collapse on the first story. They call them soft story buildings. Los Angeles have targeted those and concrete buildings. All of them are intended to save lives. And that's a step forward. So no doubt, something that doesn't come down can get back to function also faster. But they, none of them are intended for, for the issue of resilience, even though they are packaged that resilience uh, base. They essentially are targeted for, um, you know, catching lives. This passing these laws are very difficult because there's always pushback by some people. They just question if, 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 if a city can kind of mandate any retrofit. If I own this property, can I do that? But thankfully, better minds have argued. There have been precedences that, like, if I own a property. And I know that it's seismically deficient, and I don't address it. If something happens to the tenants, um, they there are precedents that they can take it to the court. so I, I I would think that goes beyond just life. It could be like how a person is impacted financially. so with with, with the practical speed that we can we can have, maybe not the fastest things are kind of converging. Um, hopefully. The earthquakes will, major earthquakes will, will remain asleep as we are kind of finding the alliance and pushing this forward.
0: Okay, excellent. Uh, my next question, I would like to sort of connect all this up to the corporate real estate team, the corporate real estate executive and his or her team managing uh, those properties and those buildings. What can they do to assess and improve their, their portfolio's seismic resilience, not just a building, but even the whole entire real estate portfolio?
1: Excellent question, Tim. Thank you for that. It it starts by recognizing and um, basically asking the question that in in the beginning of our conversation I brought up that uh, for decades, we have just pretended that all we need to know is how much things get damaged. and you know the industry has developed a way to to make decisions based on that. We call it probable maximum loss. It's a number um, that it's a normalized number that compares the estimated damage to the cost to rebuild, basically, right? Um, so it starts from that really obvious thing that uh, we we really. This is just the first question. Like the other question is like you know how long it takes to repair it. So what we, we have focused is the direct loss and we have made all of the decisions based on that. And we have not really wondered about the indirect loss of loss of business. If I'm like, if I have tenants it, that they're renting the offices, if you know, they can't occupy this for months, how much I'm gonna lose like that. So what, what some of our clients are doing, mostly on the investment side, not the banks, um, the banks are getting on board with that with the Air Force by ASTM. Uh, so they are coming from that angle, but for for our clients, they they ask for that kind of product that we offer that speaks to estimation of downtime and indirect loss, more advanced methodologies of risk assessments. Um, and as you just said, when you have multiple properties, then how your resources are allocated and how they relate to each other, the geographical locations, um, how similar they are together and how similar the expected damage is. um, how quickly you would know about the damage, how you keep the information about those properties, how you keep engineers available on on call contracts for the aftermath of affairs, all of those are really important questions. Uh, often, really inexpensive uh, steps that um, you know uh, investors and uh, property managers can 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 invest and uh, kind of mitigate their risks. Um, so it's catching up. More and more people, when when they are presented with those basic concepts, they they appreciate that. You can, you can show them the cost benefit of like by spending. This much you get this thing that you have get for decades, but with a little bit more, you get more insight. So it it, it is, every one of us play a role. And my role is finding that opportunity for the right client to speak to that. Um, and when it happens, it often is very satisfactory and it starts something that's like, um, the relationship between a consultant and you know a building is, is I, I always compare it to you and your um, uh, general physician. Like they you, they know about your health, the history of your health. They have all the records and everything. If you have to go to a specialist, they can make recommendations. Same story. Um, so I use those opportunities to kind of introduce our clients to 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 what that hasn't been covered so far, but now things are changing.
0: Okay, thank you. And now, Saeed, my last question, we've been talking about seismic risk, seismic assessment, office buildings, the corporate real estate portfolio, very important topic, of course, for for our members and our listeners. But it would seem to me that there's a great need to expand beyond that, to include the thought of, you know, building not just resilient buildings, but resilient communities, the whole community. Uh, What what are your thoughts on that? Are there obstacles to doing that? And what, you know, hopes for the future advice might you have about uh, resilient communities?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I I mentioned about like, you know, um, our bias that you know we just tend to assume that bad things don't happen to us and you know if they happen they're not going to be that bad all of us and then it was very really difficult in, in like 50 years ago to to overcome that because you know it would we didn't have access to really um appreciate the news to see the pictures of people dealing with this know, you see the videos of people like you know flood right outside their windows, slushing against their window just last few weeks like 50 years ago if i told somebody like that they would just start the thing but maybe they didn't appreciate it but now i am i have access to that you know 24 7 if i open the tv local news is showing it um uh, if you're on facebook it's over there um, so, from for one standpoint, we have access, but I think we have kind of we have too much access now. Like we have, at the same time, we have developed this 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 skill that we ignore. Everything matters only five seconds, and we go on to the next drama or next chaos. Um, so, so my hope is um, basically we we implement technologies um or access to the information the way we gather information um when it comes to preparation and aftermath of disasters by deploying you know now the way that we can access data and the size of it and the speed of it um there are companies that they're doing amazing job um so all of them converge like we human beings we often create tools um but not always we we know right away how to use that tool sustainably. So I think as we learn how to use the technologies, I think um, there will be a point that you know we realize like it's it's embarrassing that we have always had this like approach of like you know one-time use building like if 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 there is a disaster we just build it again, and uh, we don't have all the material, we don't have the time, we don't, the the consequences can be grave as I mentioned. So. Um, I see a lot of positives that, as I mentioned, like at the government level, um, you know, researchers, um, private investors. Recently, there is discussion among the bankers that, you know, we have put, we have given all of these loans to people that they are in the areas that they are prone to, you know, um, seasonal fires and flooding. And uh, you know, if if they lose their business, it's you know, it's going to be catastrophic for us, for the insurance companies. So. Um, I'm an optimist, and I think, like you know, I, it's not that difficult if you pay attention to the history of human being evolution. I think uh, there will be a point that uh, we we begin to uh, emphasize that um, buildings, infrastructure, you know, the built environment that where we pursue our goals and uh, our interests um, they're too important that we just like have that kind of approach about them. So here's the hope for that, and you know, I I hope that this discussion kind of triggers some um, questions and curiosity and interest in some of your audience to um, to pay attention to to earthquake and beyond the whole concept of resilience.
0: It really did, and I appreciate you leaving us on sort of a high note there with your hopes for the future. That's that's a great way to sort of wrap up the. Conversation. It's been great, um, Saeed, talking with you uh, today, and I really appreciate your sharing your insights and experiences with Cornet Global.
1: It was my pleasure. Keep up the good work.
0: This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit CornetGlobal.org to learn more.